What's up, metalheads? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify, as well as Instagram. And of course, our website, our updated website, talklouderpodcast.com. Thank you to Scott Moon. Yeah, tell us about Scott Moon's... uh, I mean, you know... ah, I came up with a good idea, Dave. Yeah, you sure did. Jason came up with the great idea of having a ticker on our website that basically scrolls across and you can see all of our past guests uh, that have been on the show. A guest list. A a moving guest guest list. list. Exactly. And then below that, you can click on the names of our previous guests and go straight to the episode. Uh, which is a huge, huge, huge addition to the website. So thanks to Jason for coming up with a great idea, and thanks for uh, to Scott for executing. It Moon, really looks Moonray. good. Moonray.net. Moonray.net. Thank you, Scott Moon at Moonray.net. Uh, yeah. We still have these beauties, these uh, Talk Louder coffee mugs, yes, we available do. for sale on our website, and that same logo on a T-shirt. Uh, get yours today. Let's talk yeah. about... This episode we have today, uh, why don't you talk about our fabulous guest today? Indeed, indeed. We have Ronjar Zombek with us today, guitarist extraordinaire. Uh, Ron did. In his own right. You don't even have to mention a band. He's just got fans just by saying, Ronjar Zombek. Exactly. So. But he has been affiliated with some bands that people would be interested in. Uh, Watchtower being one of them, S.A. Slayer, uh, Spastic Inc., Blotted Science. Uh, he's toured with Marty Friedman. He's there's considered. A, there's, other, there's other things that are not even like, I guess you have to go to Wikipedia. But I think he did some stuff with a project called Gordian Knot. Um there's a lot of people, a lot of names in underground metal and, and death metal and progressive metal who play on his Spastic Inc. and his Blotted Science records. Um, yeah. He has surrounded himself with the, basically the greatest uh, hard rock, heavy metal, progressive thrash metal musicians yeah. that there are in the world. Um, yeah. Please check out his website at ronjarzombeck.com. But Dave, you were saying, sorry. No, he's he's uh, highly regarded in, in that arena, that arena being uh, technical prog, uh, guitar, thrash metal, speed metal, weird metal, sci-fi metal, whatever you want to call it. He's all those things and more and uh, has mad respect from his peers, um, has a great reputation in his own right. Uh, we're just lucky that uh, Jason has some history with him. He's a San Antonio guy, so he's here from Texas. If you've um, seen our Bobby Jarzombek yes. episode, which was a, a much earlier episode than the one we just taped with Ron today, um, we get a little bit more uh, insight on their being brothers in their early days from Ron today than we did. I mean, Bobby did talk about uh, his early beginnings as playing country in his uh, music teacher's band at like an early teenage. Yeah. That's, I don't know if, I don't really recall uh, hearing Bobby talk about him singing ACDC songs. <laughs> I think, I think we got an exclusive out of Ron today. Yeah. I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. So, so where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fishing here. 
Um, but uh, I feel like you guys should go back as well after this episode and watch the Bobby Jarzombek episode, and you'll connect a lot of dots, just like you will with the uh, Dave McLean episode uh, and the Don Van Stavern episode. And the Mike Solis. And the Mike Solis episode. Yeah. It's just going to keep going, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so we're good. thrilled to have him today on the Talk Louder podcast, Ron Jarzombek. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, Ron. Nice to meet you. I don't think we've ever met. I think we have uh, about a hundred mutual friends, but I can't say that I that that we've ever met that I can recall. I somehow can't believe that. Yeah, I thought we met at um the ATT Center. I think it was a KISS concert or maybe Motley Crue. That's uh highly possible, yeah. But I remember was, if there was Budweiser involved, you know, chances of fertilizer girls yeah <laughs> you know remembering anything is kind of yeah. yeah well uh if i if we have met in the past and i forgot forgive me if uh if not welcome to the show today thanks for joining us um obviously you and jason have a long history together um so i'll i'll, I'll let jason take the lead and just sort of chime in a little bit um jace what do you want to start with i think that it's important for people to know, because I don't even know, um, like your first band, when you even started, when you picked up a guitar, when you thought it was a good idea to try to build a guitar, you know, because you're, that's your, you know, the guitar is kind of part of your body. And, uh, you know, later we'll get into some history because I know you actually had some operations on your fingers. Yeah. And you recovered and your your business is still playing guitar so you know where were you born where, where where tell us where you were born and then tell us the story right up until the time you discovered guitar well i've been in san antonio my whole life um my first instrument was actually piano when i was in second grade i was in singing class and i noticed that the notes were going da 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 as we were singing it, told my mom. So she signed me up for piano classes. And then uh, with playing football and everything, all my classmates found out I played piano and they're like, why don't you switch to guitar? It's cooler. Wow. So, yeah. And so around this same time, Bobby was playing drums in school too. He was playing just snare drum, uh, you know, doing rudiments and all that kind of stuff like that. And that was, uh, that was the beginning of the first band with me and Bobby. And then our older brother, Ralph, came in later. And you sang, didn't you? Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, Bobby, too, kind of. <laughs> you, you got any recordings of that shit? No. Yeah, Mom said that we should have made recordings when we were kids, and we never did. Oh, yeah. yeah, Bobby used to sing the ACBC stuff, and I would sing UFO terribly. <laughs> terribly. Wow. And then we had our old, uh, later on, we got our old school friend, John Bentley, and uh, we went under the name Terrett. Okay. Did you hear that story, Terrett, at, when I told it at the uh, the, re the reunion thing that y'all played? The the South Texas Legion thing? Yeah. I think, I think you did. There were, there's, there were so many, there was so much lore being told about at that little Q&A there at Fitzgerald's that day. 
Yeah, that's a great day. I, I couldn't great soak day. it all up, dude. I was emotionally shocked. Yeah. And all the things that I was hearing just about San Antonio and, and my people in San Antonio and their earliest beginnings, it was it was really a trip. Anyway. Yeah, um, but Bobby, Bobby and I and Ralph and then uh, John Bentley, we had a band and we thought the word T-A-R-O-T was tarot. But, you you know, you pronounce yeah. it tarot, like tarot woman from Rainbow. Yeah. Right. And so once we discovered that that uh, that it was pronounced tarot, we added an R and then T, it was T-A-R-R-O-T, but we called it tarot. Like carrot. Like, yeah, that's what they say, carrot, tarot. <laughs> but, oh. but oh, that was, uh, yeah, we played, uh, you know, clubs. That was the first club, uh, Razzle Dazzle on Austin Highway That was when I was 16. Wow. That's where we, we first played. And then we played at a... Remember any out. songs? You were playing ACDC and UFO. What else? Scorpions, Priest, uh, yeah, Let It Roll, I remember, Lights Out. Wow. How old were you? 16. You could play 16. those solos and Let It Roll? Yeah, and then we did Sales of Karen and... Uh, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, it was a good time. It was 16 really 16 years old playing Uli John Roth, which is pre-Ingve neoclassical shred. Yeah. Eight years old. <laughs> and then around that same time, um, Bob Catlin and Art were in a band called uh, Blizzard. No, Art wasn't in that band, but Catlin was. Wow, that's a cool band name. Yeah, and then we would, uh, we would, uh, you know, play, play all those uh, little fun and games places like that. It was a pretty cool, really cool time. Yeah, you know, not to derail your story at all, but one of the earliest Watchtower shows when it was mainly cover songs. You would play the the video game arcades as well. Yeah, there was one on South Lamar called Computer Madness. <laughs> that was it. That that's like a title you would come up with, Computer yeah, right. Madness. Yeah, and and it was like you know they had the Pac Man and the Defender and the yeah, Joust. That's all they had there. Early '80s, you know, Galaga <laughs> and all that. It was they had a couple of pool tables, but and it was dark and cold in there. It was teenager. Did yep. they have Frogger, Asteroids? Yep, yep. yep. Teenagers <laughs> just killed their Saturdays there. And, you know, they'd probably yeah. go out back and smoke joints, too, but we don't talk about that. Yeah. But you know what? I tell you, it's very similar. Please carry on. No, from there, then we um, did Tarot for quite a while. And then that's where we kind of branched off after a little bit. That's where I got an S.A. Slayer, and then Bobby got in Juggernaut a little bit after that. Yeah. And then and that's that's where you came in, Jason, after uh SA Slayer came Watchtower for me. So So for people listening, your brother obviously is Bobby Jarzombek, renowned drummer who's played with so many people, Sebastian Bach, Rob Halford, Fates Warning. He's currently with George Strait, played with Juggernaut. Uh, so first of all, is he older or younger than you? About a year and a half older. Okay, so he's your older brother. So take us back to, let's rewind a bit. When you guys are kids, is there any of the the whole Van Halen kind of vibe going on where you're playing the drums and he's playing guitar and then you guys swapped or are you well, guys? I thought, I thought I started playing drums first, but obviously Bobby took over and did a much better job than I did. I remember banging on sticks and I used to build stuff. But uh, yeah, Bobby soon uh, picked up the drums and... Uh, yeah, did a far better job than I ever could. But 
Um, well, I'll just be the first to say he does a far better job than most. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Hard and likewise, Ron, Ron, we could say the same about Ron on guitar here. So, um, no, I didn't want to embarrass the man. Yeah, know. well, that's what the show's for. Yeah. So, <laughs> Welcome so, to your life, Ron. Yeah. So, Ron, you um, you're you're well known for uh, you know your innovative approach toward guitar, your technical approach toward guitar. So, again, back when you're a kid and you start you you, you give up piano and you start gravitating towards guitar, uh, who are you emulating at that time? Because I'm 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 guessing your guitar heroes were not Angus Young and Ace Frehley, like so many of our guests, given your technical direction Don't or forget, I, I, I know ron is a big kiss fan though hell so, yeah. yeah 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 you 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 yeah. understand what kiss means to to music so yeah to backtrack a little bit before we were in, in bands and stuff bobby would came home one time uh, we were i was maybe in the fourth grade and he was in the fifth grade or sixth grade and he uh brought home kiss alive and that was that was huge yeah cold yeah. jam you know, Parasite, Deuce, all those songs. Uh, soon after we got a band, it was just me and Bobby, I think, originally, but we learned 31 Kiss songs. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And That's it was, impressive. Yeah, we even did the makeup and the goofed off with that. I guess everybody did. Sure. You what, know year, what year was that that you, that you honed in and learned 31 tunes? It had to have been late 70s okay. i guess so so it's safe to say that this was when kiss was taking over the universe well 74 was the first kiss alive album right well no it was uh yeah. it was actually recorded january of uh destroyer came out january of 76 so 75 is when the record 74, came 75. Out. so you were 10 11 wow. years old when the record came out yeah but he brought that in and uh yeah, from there, it was just, here comes all the hard rock. I don't think that's metal, but the... I'm glad, I'm glad you said that, but it's definitely gateway. You just Would yeah. you agree that stuff like Kiss and ACDC are like forefathers of what became metal? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They're, they're minor and they're detuning and right, right, right. I, I just think Kiss had a bigger impact on Kiss just because the show was so good. Yeah. Yeah. You just couldn't top that show back then. No. You know, all the makeup. Un the, untouchable. The, untouchable. You know, it, was, it was just something else. And then that was, you know, 75, 74, and then 76 came 2112. Hmm. And then from then, you know the story with that, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, once 2112 came into the picture, it was just, you know, all the proggy stuff and everything. And so from your, uh, from your youth, it's kind of like, Kiss Alive and then 2112, like Game Changer number one, Game Changer. Yeah, then we backtracked. I remember me and Bobby, we went to a Flipside Record Parlor and we saw the first Rush album, you know. Yeah. With the logo on there and it had John Rutzi. And I'm like, oh, what happened? They, you know, Neil's out of the band, whatever. And so we had to backtrack and then we got. <laughs> That's <you know>. hilarious. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way before. I've what? never heard Neil, that either. Neil quit? Did he join Genesis or some shit? Wow, who's this guy, Rutsy, that replaced Neil? He must be yeah. a monster. That's a mess when you get it wrong. <laughs> I hope you didn't go to a party and say, dude, y'all hear Neil quit? <laughs> yeah, so, so Fly By Night, you know, was, was right after that one. We got that one. Caress is Steel, we got that one. But 
on um, on Fly By Night was by throwing the snow dog. Yes. Then it just, you know, 2112 was something in itself, but by throwing the snow dog to me, that's my favorite, one of my top favorite songs ever. Well, the fact that they were using Taurus pedals and echo plexes and like grinding all those low sub notes and like making them talk and, and growl like it's a, like it's a monster, like it's a snow dog. And they're, yeah. they're creating this like sort of pink Floyd, heavy metal version of Pink Floyd. And there's nothing else to call that except Prague. Well, that was the beginning of all of the long, longer pieces. And, you know, cause that was yeah. before 2112. Correct. And, uh, yeah, but once that hit, then I, the whole concept thing for me just kind of was like, you know, a light bulb went off. And, you know, it wasn't just about songs. It was about, you know, the, the bigger picture. You know, because y'all mentioned Van Halen before, and the first guitar that I built was actually a Flying V. And it was striped like a, uh, you know, it was a V. It wasn't a Strat, you know. But Van Halen was in the picture, of course. Every, you know, everybody, guitar younger guitar players, Van Halen. But, you know, Van Halen was just very well-constructed songs, you know, a lot of charisma on stage and everything. But the Rush thing for me was, was huge. Yeah. You know? were, you taking, were you taking guitar lessons at this time, or were you, were you self-taught, or was it a combination, or how did your uh, early um, education with guitar go? I actually took a, Bobby was taking drum lessons from a guy named Dick Kettner. How, how I remembered that, I have no idea, but yeah, Dick Kettner. And somebody else at his place taught guitar. And I had like maybe three lessons, but they were teaching me the old Grey Goose and stuff like that. And so my uh, my teachers were Ace Fraley and Alex Lifeson. Okay. Oh, my God. That's an excellent wow. combo. Yeah. I feel like both of those guys, even though they're very different players, mm-hmm. both of those guys are, they love like, uh, you know the the Yardbirds and and Jimmy Page and and the Stones and yeah. they like all that blue Jeff Beck and they like they love those guys and once again Ace is this kind of like sort of like keeping it loose and sort of like does a rinse and repeat thing is where Alex was he loves that and he's real rock and roll yeah, Alex easy. is a very rock and roll type guitar player but he was uh, he could do math yeah yeah very well yeah. Yeah, so, maybe, so it's Ace, safe. maybe Ace didn't didn't pass math, but it, Alex definitely did. <laughs> well, all of that, the smoking pickup and all that stuff, that was, man, when you're a kid, you yeah. just love that stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, it makes the guitar sound better. <laughs> Wait, so safe, 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 to, safe to say you're, you're more or less self-taught. Is that, is that safe to say? Well, I took in college, I took two, uh, two years of music theory, but I was playing guitar way before that. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. N- now that I think about it, I don't even know if I did take official lessons. Wow. You know, I buy a VHS tapes. It was Paul Gilbert yeah. and, uh, you know, Steve Lukather and those guys like that. But yeah, mostly it was just learning songs. The MIT guys putting out, you know, the GIT, the Institute yeah. guys that were putting out VHS tapes in the Netflix, I think it was called. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those were popular with all my friends. You know. Oh, yeah. I think after uh, the Rush thing, then Priest came in, and then Glenn tipped, and obviously with the haircut, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you've always had the Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, Glenn Tipton was just a huge influence on me. You know, the whole KK and 
Glenn, the, the twin guitar thing. Yeah, was, I, I love it when there's two guys, and I love it when there's two different guys. Because mm -hmm. they're very, very different. Different styles. Just like uh, and Slayer kind of adapted that. Maybe not on purpose, but, you mm -hmm. know, ha Hanneman and, and King, they their attacks are completely different. Mm -hmm. And Harry's yeah. more of the, the KK Downing. And Whammy Bar guy, yeah. Yeah, and Hanneman's more of the, the shredder guy that's maybe a little slightly more organized. But anyway, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Were you um were you playing with two guitar players in your early bands or not until Slayer? Yeah, until SA Slayer Kaplan okay. came along. And that was for me the whole SA Slayer thing was a great experience because Kaplan was a little older than me. And I remember on the way to practice, he, I just learned a lot from Catlin. I don't think he even knows this, but wow, yeah, I just learned a lot by just, you know, the old green van. Remember that? Yeah, of, cor of course I do. I, it's infamous. I talk about the green van every chance I get anyone who will listen. I talk about the green van. <laughs> yeah, but so many stories on the way to practice and that Catlin would just kind of just educate me on just how things worked in a band, yeah. you know, because when, when I was in a band with, you know, Bobby and, older brother and that John Bentley, I don't know, it was, it's, it was, you know, family, you know, family came first and then, you know, and then it was the band was kind of around that, you know, but S.A. Slayer was the band. Yeah. Yes. You know? And then I learned a lot. Don was also a little bit older for me. I learned a lot from Don. He probably doesn't know that either. Wow. But those yeah. two guys, they kind of ran S.A. Slayer. You know, I have to, I have to, I have to jump in in here and give credit where it's due, and just to see see your reaction. We literally had Dave McLean on the on the yeah. show the other day, and his episode, of course, is not out yet. It's it. We just saw an edit of it today, and it came out beautifully. Awesome. But but he talks about it was Don, you know, because Dave he Dave was recruited by Don when they were like thirteen. They mm -hmm. Yeah, they were brothers back then. Yeah. yeah, and Don, Don, I mean, claims to have half, half raised the boy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> took took Dave in under his wing and really gave him gave a shy kid confidence and showed him how to be in a band and showed him it's like this is the way. And look at Dave has created a career out of just. Yeah. And so, and you kind of have too. So back to where you were, you're, you're being influenced by these guys that sort of like, Hey, Ron, we want you to be in Slayer. Come on. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was weird. My first real band experience. You know, what you year know, was that? 83, 84? I know I got in Watchtower in 86. So I'd say probably 83, 84. Yeah. And then, uh, I learned a lot from Rick Shreves when we went to, to uh, Boston yeah. Studios. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, Rick, Rick Shreves was the engineer at uh, the Boss Studios, Bob O'Neill Sound Studios, which is mentioned in Dave McLean's episode. Yeah. Uh, talk louder, listeners and watchers. Wait for the Dave McLean episode. Wait for this episode. You will be able, able to connect many, many dots. Carry on, Ron. Yeah, and then from, from then on, uh, S.A. Slayer happened, and around this time, Bobby was, uh, I think, doing the riot time around this time, you know. So, and, uh, what, what year are we talking? Dog, you got me on that one. But um, well, Bobby was in Riot when Don was in Riot, and not before. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're talking. Went. We're talking right around. And 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 here, just for the record, uh, McLean 
drummer, S.A. Slayer, Dave McLean, moved to Los Angeles in 86. Yeah, that was weird when he that's, took off. That's after Narita, though. That's yeah, after that Narita. Yeah, was weird. The whole Narita thing with Mark Reale came, came in, and then Dave was just kind of gone. And I thought that was weird that Don and Dave were separated at that time because yeah. you know, when I met him, they were in a band called Seance. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's when S.A. Slater had just started. That's yeah. what, uh, you know. Like a week after Seance broke up or a week after, the way McLean puts it, maybe, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but McLean apparently was fired from Seance and Seance got a different drummer because the new drummer oh, yeah. had a PA system. <laughs> which that's the funny part and so it was like a week later that don called called dave and said hey let's form our own thing yeah and it was and it was it was early slayer yeah and i'm guessing that would have been late 82 early 83 something like because that that's, because that's be prior to your your involvement in slayer because it would have been art and bob and steve and Right. Yeah, art, art was out. I'm not sure what happened with that whole thing. But yeah, I got in in uh, 83, 84, something yeah. like that. Yep, late 83. Yep. Yeah, Narita came around, you know, Mark Rail and Don, you know, worshipped right back then, even before he was in the band. Yeah, I know so that. That was, that was Don's dream gig. So I kind of understood, you know, it's like my band was gone, but I kind of understood that Don, you know, was with, you know, Narita with Mark Reale. Yeah, yeah, he was, I mean, when you think about it, being thrust into a situation or ha given an opportunity to write songs with a guy that sort of molded the last like eight years of your life, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And so, so that was a, that was a good move for Don. You know, then Cooper came in because they had a different singer, you know, and then Cooper right. was Narita. And then, uh, yeah, and then for me, Watchtower came and then that was even more doors opened up, you know. Right. We should we should clarify a couple things. Um, your involvement in S.A. Slayer and Watchtower with with S.A. Slayer, you and you join in time to do the Go for the Throat record, correct? Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. Prepare to Die was out, and I did a lot of the uh, gigs with them before Go for the Throat. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. that's your your timeline in S.A. Slayer is basically the live guitarist after Prepare to Die is recorded and released, and then that leads into the Go for the Throat LP. Yeah, but Go for the Throat wasn't released until after I was in Watchtower because I remember, I think it was Swiss Chris. That's correct. Uh, right? Were you in the yeah. room, Jason, at the time? I'm pretty no. sure. What? Tell the story because just. Just to put just just to put it in in a bucket for a second before before you talk about how what led up to the release of Go for the Throat and I mentioned yeah. it in McLean's episode. Yeah, Go for and, the Throat was sitting around for probably about a year yep, or two. Yep, and yeah. a friend of ours, uh, Chris Liebengut, Chris. Uh, came into all of our lives and mm -hmm. decided that oh here's the master tapes oh cool here's the, all the photos and here's the album cover art and here's yeah. the logo and all i got to do is find the money to put this shit out and that's what happened but leading up tell us the story because there is a backstory yeah and then he brought the album in the slayer album and i was like wow the, you know the album came out but yeah by this time i was already starting to work with watchtower so it well, happened and we rehearsed we rehearsed at your house we you know swiss chris came to austin and just never left and was living with rick and doug you remember that 
Yeah, very yeah well. of course, very of well. course you do. Yeah. Now, did so, you guys did you guys cross paths in Watchtower or Jason? Were you already gone and 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 Ron is now working with Techio in time to do the control and resistance record? No, no. Oh, if are. I if I may, uh, it, it was you know uh, Bill, Billy and Ron were buddies. Watchtower and SA Slayer were a great pair of. I mean, we played shows with Hellstar. Imagine a show yeah. with Slayer, Hellstar, and Watchtower on the same bill. Yeah. And then Great mixing it all up. Yes, yeah, the, the greatest time. times of our lives, and they've yeah. been uh, they've been uh, immortalized in the book that uh, Juan Herrera put out called "As Viewed from the Pit." Um, I advise anyone to go to that website, asviewedfromthepit.com, and get a copy of that because it's unbelievable. It has everything and anything that we're talking about and more. So when you think about these shows, and we're all chums and having the best time of our, of our you know, 20-something years, you know, like 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years, mm-hmm. you know, it's the best time. Yeah. Um, when you think about how short those years were, that blows me away because you realize that ron that was a flash in time yeah it was between 80 learning time too yes yes for everyone and we were still kids we didn't know how to treat each other we didn't know how to properly fire someone from a band or even hire someone from a band we didn't know how to you know i learned a lot between all of those transitions and i'll start like this billy white decides to leave watchtower he decides to go with us to California to play our only two out-of-state shows in which I had tried to recruit Marty Friedman. Here comes the six degrees of separation, everyone. And Mike Varney helps me get Marty to come to the Mabuhay Gardens in, in San Francisco to see Watchtower, to see if he, if he likes what's going on with our thing. And long story short, Marty tries to recruit Rick and Doug without me knowing about it. And I couldn't find Marty after the gig to see if he wants to do business. And I find Rick and Doug and I'm like, dude, I can't find him anywhere. He must have split. And Rick and Doug look at each other and look at me and go, yeah, we talked to him. (laughs) He wanted to hire us. I totally forgot about the Marty Freeman story, but was there a possibility that he would have been in Watchtower? I was trying to recruit him for Watchtower. I talked yeah. to Mike Varney. I said, "Need that guitar player." Great mix. I, I said, "Billy White's leaving. What What do we do? You got You know any hot guitar players that want to come to Texas? You know, six months out of the year. I don't know what I was doing. I was a kid, and he was like, "What about Marty? What's he? He's actually in between things, man. He's kind of a free agent right now. I'll send him down. Awesome." And I think I left, wrote some letters to Marty, or Mike set it up for me, and. He showed up to the gig. I never met. I still, to this day, I've never met Marty. I'm on a fucking record with Marty. I've never met him. <laughs> so, so y'all were trying to steal Marty, and Marty was trying to steal... Rick and Doug. Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. it's all water under the bridge. It, I, I didn't get angry. You know what I mean? Rick and Doug didn't just move to San Francisco and form a band with Marty. It's just funny. Wow. Yeah. So, and you end up just just to throw fire on the gasoline. Uh, uh, you end up being second guitar on a tour with Marty. Two tours, yeah. Amazing. Let's go yeah. back to what we're just talking about because I don't even get the mind blown you're, here. You're not even. You're not even. Hadn't even come into the picture. Other than when Billy leaves, you're the only. 
and fir first and only person I decided that needs to take Billy's place. And you were on the fence, weren't you? Why were you on yeah. the fence? I was on the fence, and I'm sure you know all this, because when you first called me, I thought I was going to be in the band with Billy. And I was just imagining wow. harmonies and all this kind of stuff. And then you said, no, Billy's out. Yeah. And then I was like, so I'm supposed to replace Billy White. Yes. And I was like, damn, that's that's." <laughs> It's just weird to me hearing these, these guitar gods go, I can't replace no, that was white. Billy, Billy was just something else back then. Just tell, as, tell me how you really feel about Billy, because I know you and Bob Catlin really gave Billy props anywhere and everywhere. And Art Villarreal, too. All of you guys really loved Billy's playing. He's a one of a kind. He just had his, his personality and his character and his stage presence and everything was just something else. Yeah. And, you know, I was just, I remember, it was a real hard, I don't know if you know this, Jason, but I had such a hard time with that, the whole Billy White thing. Like, you yeah, probably right. know, but. We all did. I think the sound of the band changed with your yeah. entrance into the band and it's no secret. And that's fine. I wear that on my sleeve. I, I know it's okay with you guys for me to tell you, say exactly how I feel. It's unhealthy to hold it in. The 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 sound of the band changed when you came in. You did a, a, a perfect job of recreating what Billy Wyatt brought to the band. But you also added your own. And, of course, you had carte blanche to when you started writing with Doug Keezer. And, yeah. and weighing in on your ideas, you were very, very welcome, of course. It took but, a while, though. I mean, I, we have to tell the Snuffleupagus story, dude. Of course. Please tell it. <laughs> Any story that involves Snuffleupagus, uh, we got it. It's the know. only one I know. <clears throat> Spill so, it, Ron. So what happened was it took a while for me to learn how to write with Rick and Doug. You don't bring in a song and they play the song as is. That's the way Bobby me and Bobby work, you know, it's structured out, you know, you have to play this part. It's like, it's everything. It's all glued together, you know, pits, you know, pieces fitting in and, you know, stuff like that. Watchtower, you, you bring in a tune and you see what Rick and Doug do with it. Yeah. You know, but that tune connects to another tune, but then this tune sounds different. So you can't connect those two tunes. And so anyways, I had a constructed song in the verse of it. It had a, uh, on the downbeat of it, was missing. It went, da -da. come on, Jason, you got to sing this. Like this kind of thing. And it sounded good when I played it on my drum machine. But when Rick and Doug, when they got a hold of it, I got to do it, Jason. I got to do it. You ready? Yeah. yeah. So Jason said, man, it sounds like snuffle up, I guess. And he, see, <laughs> then he gets his uh, arm to his shoulder like this. And did this. <laughs> I did the elephant sound. Let me see if I can do it. You did. I might throw my back out doing it. You did it at a gig too. Oh, I used to do it on stage all the time. <laughs> That's all I got. It's more visual than it is audio. Yeah. So if you're watching, you oh. see the elephant trunk. Mm. So from then on, and still to this day, if I were to work with, with Rick and Doug, anything that we would write that didn't have a note on the downbeat of the first count, we would call it snuff. 
And that, that came from Jason. You create your own, you create yeah, your own it's language. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's a watchtower word, snuff. Yeah. I actually have a song on, on solitarily speaking, my solo CD called snuff. And every, there's no note on the downbeat of the whole, you know, two and a half minute song. But yeah, Jason, Jason came up with that. And that whole snuffleupagus thing, it was just, but anyways, <laughs> but yeah, it took me a while to get to learn how to write with the band. I just kind of learned that you can't have everything the way you think it sounds at home because it just doesn't work, you know? So it took us a while to write songs. Jason remembers all this stuff. Just trying to put songs together was, was hard. Writing with those guys. I talk about it quite often, actually, because I yeah. learned so much being in, a, in a, a band with Rick and Doug and Billy, as well as you, even though it was for a short while, uh, you, you and Rick and Doug. In the old days, um, it's no, it's, I feel like it's no secret at this time, you know, they would hand me a sheet of lyrics. I'd show up. I heard this story, the tape for Dumb Dumb. Remember that tape? Yeah, of course. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And it was, uh, I I have it on the rack behind me, I think. Tape for Dumb Dumb. Uh, (laughs) I listened to that thing at least 30 times all the way back. I had, that's what I learned the songs with tape for Dumb Dumb. You, you, and probably somewhat, well, Alan was probably listening to demos and I want to talk about, about Alan on the plane with a Walkman listening to the cassette demos. Cause it was more great times, man. Incredible. Incredible. So here, here we are like, you know, 19 years old or whatever. And they're handing me a sheet of lyrics. And there's not really a rhyme scheme either. Nope. And uh, so, okay, right, this this is not, you know, God of Thunder, you know, <laughs> this is something else. I heard, I heard that whole song changed too, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so, so you know, they're going, okay, so when Jason and I tap, because it's, they're playing, you know, sevens and thirteens and nines and, right, and they're, they go, all right, I'm going to tap, Jason, I'm going to tap on your foot when I want you to start. I'm going to tap on your foot when I want you to stop. And that is the verse. And then the next time I tap on your foot, that's the chorus. Ready? Shit, yeah, I'm ready. So Was that Billy or Doug? That, it was Billy, right? It was Billy more than, more than Doug kind of showing me where everything is, which seemingly had structure like you're talking about. Pieces yeah. had been put together, and they had rehearsed up these songs prior to – uh, them even probably having lyrics, and they had an idea of where they wanted to stick all these lyrics. Well, there's more lyrics than there are uh, f- uh, room for phrase. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like measures, if you will. There's more. There's so many. There's so many words and syllables in there. I'm having to structure this song within a, a song, and it's kind of like, you know, a circle in a square hole. So I feel like that's what I kind of brought to Watchtower in the early days was fitting that circle, that that round peg into a square hole of Billy basically showing me where those time signatures were, where he sort of had his vision of where the lyrics went. And we would do the same with Doug's lyrics as well. But I feel like for someone who doesn't, didn't, I don't read music. You know, those guys can sight read stuff. I, I, you know, if Billy or Doug wrote a wrote a a riff and they could no, make notation, they could hand it to Rick and he could play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you know, because you used to do that. So I don't know shit like that. So it was pretty much I was. They were on an, another level to me, and I learned so much about how to find 
you know, how to how to push and drag, you know, w- with my voice of where I can create. And it helped me write melodies later on. Just that little exercise. And I feel like I re- got really good at it. Hence the material. And well, if we're gonna, I don't know if we're going to end up talking about mathematics, which hopefully we don't. But that's that's one of the biggest issues to this day is trying to make lyrics fit into the the square peg and the uh, you yeah, know it's I, like, I, I get it yeah just trying to force these kind of lyrics you know and Doug's great lyricist but it yeah. depends what you put them over yeah and sometimes things don't work but some of the songs for that were supposed to be on mathematics the lyrics were fitted into totally different songs, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. um, well, I'm kind of skipping way, way ahead. I don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't think so, because we're talking about your entry into Watchtower and how you wrote songs with that and, and, and what your feelings were, maybe even at, you know, because you told us how you felt about Billy and the respect that you had for him and you were on the fence. And we come well, back from California all happy because we had gotten the message that you had decided to do this. And this would have been um, January of or late December. Wow, you remember months. I don't remember Yeah, months. yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, we were in California with Billy at his last two shows. And uh, Walt Trashler drove us out there in a shitty old van. And Jeff Tweedy was with us. And Brian Bowen was with us. And it was the best time ever, even though we were going to miss Billy badly, you know. You know, what was kind of funny about that time was that, you know, when I got in the band and you you would have thought that me and Billy, you know, since I kind of stepped into his or tried to step into his shoes the best I could, that we maybe were enemies or something. But when I practiced with Watchtower, I stayed at Billy's house. Yeah. And we had the greatest times, you know, just yeah. you know, playing and stuff and talking and everything. But that was my 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 regular spot was to, to hang out with Billy. What what was it that convinced you to to move forward and join Watchtower? Because you said earlier that you you initially thought you were going to be teaming up with Billy and you guys were going to be a guitar duo, and then all of a sudden you find out you're going to be the lone guitarist, yeah. um, which was not what you had in mind. So what goes on in your head at that point when you find out the equation has changed? And then what was it within your own mind that said, "Well, okay, we'll we'll adjust accordingly and still go forward with this." A phone call from Doug. So what did Doug tell you that... uh... Whenever Watchtower and S.A. Slayer and Helsinki, Jason was always talking to everybody, talking all the time. And Rick and Doug, they kind of like, they kind of stayed, you know, to themselves. They didn't do a lot of the socializing stuff. Right. Jason, I got along great with Jason. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, maybe just Jason wants me in the band, you know, and maybe not those other guys. And so Doug finally ended up calling me and I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. It's going to be rough, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, then I, then I stepped up for that. And I remember the first couple of gigs were pretty rough. Jason, I remember I was kind of an asshole to Fred. Remember Fred? Yeah. Fred Mitchum. Yeah. Yeah. It was, no, no, no. There was another Fred that was involved. And I remember he, uh, he, um, did videotapes with Billy, some Godzilla stuff. And I remember he liked that's, Billy that's, a lot. That's Fred Mitchum. Okay. And I just had a hard time just w- with that whole thing because I knew he, he just worshipped Billy. And I just didn't get along with the guy. And before I knew it, I think he was kind of out or something. 
something well, you, it was i think that it was there's some changing of the guard going on anyway we were growing yeah. up fred, you know fred was acting manager of the band just to be clear and i'm still in touch with fred mitchum and he's still yeah he was and, doing everything that he could and i just remember yeah. it was just a bit much for me at the time well you were you had your other you you had shoes to fill you were you were working hard on trying to yeah. find your own Mm -hmm. uh, reasons to be and what what's next for me and what am I going to do with this stuff and you were I, I think it was a bit nervy and I think that the band was still it was just growing pains I, I'm sure there's no hard feelings you know I wonder what was weird I thought about this the other day I want because I know Billy was at our first show the one that wow. he I wonder what was going on through his head when I he was that on. was fucking weird yeah I know I That's mean, what he, I was he thinking. Created, he created the band with those guys. Yeah. You know, that was his baby. Yeah, and then he's he's watching the band, and it was his choice too. You know, he yeah. You know, he was kind of drifting musically into a different direction. Well, when you think about it in retrospect, when a lot of people get mad at their favorite member leaving the band or whatever, it's kind of like, dude, you you're not him. You don't know what's going on. You don't yeah. know his growing pains and what his reason for living is right now. Yeah. And so now that we're older, we understand how to treat each other a little bit better and what might have been uh, his reason. Yeah. And I was just happy because he, he wasn't trying to be an asshole. I mean, he agreed to go do those shows with us. Yeah. Was, that was a big moment for us. I feel like whoever was at those shows in California, they saw like unicorns because that was a different thing to see that lineup sort of dissipate before yeah, yeah. the very eyes. So, so let's move on because we can't, I could talk to you for 10 hours. We need to, <laughs> we need to move on. You, you, you know, of, of course things get weird and I leave the band and, and I get Alan in the band and there, Mike Solis comes in and, and Mike did a great job. He did a lot of kids. Mike kicked ass. Love Mike to death. And he was, he's a soldier and he was one of us. And Militia was always with following, you know, the Hellstar and Slayer and Watchtower. They were there. They were one of us. They were as big as us. They held their own. They could headline and they did. And they're still doing great things. Mm -hmm. But the whole like Texas metal thing was such a beautiful moment when yeah. it, in its birthing. So, without getting into politics of what went down, basically in a nutshell, I could say, you know, I was growing as a singer. I was going to go record songs I wrote finally for the first time in my life. And I felt like that was attractive as to why that's, that's really a big reason why I feel like I, I was walking away from Watchtower and starting a new era for myself personally. It wasn't because I thought the band was going to be a better fit by any means. I was just growing as a singer and, and my personality. Now, when you think about that changing of the guard and Alan is coming from Jersey on a plane to Berlin with cassettes that I sent him, here's all the songs you need to learn for the control record. And he's got a Walkman on and he's yeah. listening. Yeah. Tell us, you guys get to, you guys get a deal and you go to Germany to record Control and Resistance, the, the finally the second album from Watchtower with almost, uh, you know, five years, six years later kind of a thing. Tell us what Berlin was like. Well, I tell you right now, those cassette tapes that were that you sent to Alan that were in my suitcase were lost for a day. Yeah. 
What was he listening to on the plane? He was learning the songs. Well, he had, he, all of my, my four track tapes while I was planning stuff, I brought my four track and everything. Oh, and yeah. I'm not sure what tapes he had, but uh, the, my had... work tapes that I had in, in my four track got lost Uh-oh. on the flight. And I was flipping out. It's like, I'm not going to, I don't remember what I did. <laughs> you know, I was going to my four track. You know, I so love you, you had pre-written, you had pre-production tapes as well. Yeah, we're just, just about. working out parts and everything. You know, my parts, my guitar parts. And you had been write, writing the solos, et cetera. Right. Yeah. But anyways, they got lost, but we found it there. But yeah, I remember Alan, he didn't know the songs at all on the way over there. And it was pretty, pretty cool and pretty weird because after we did the album and came back, we had a rehearsal and he just knew everything. And of course, because he did take after take after take, yeah. but it was just like a struggle. He had to learn everything. Yeah. And uh, I saw in some interviews, they were saying, you know, why, why is Alan trying to, to do Jason's lines? And I was like, cause that's how the song goes. Well, yeah, I, I wrote those melodies. Let me yeah, just let me just state claim. I wrote those. Yeah. All of that crazy shit with tapping on my foot. Thank you, Billy White, Doug Keezer, sure, for all of those time signatures that I have to sing over. But that ain't them singing those. They wrote the lyrics. They wrote the tunes underneath them. Surely influence what melodies I'm singing, if you want to call it singing, and if you even want to call it melodies. But yeah, that's why... Yeah, that's why he he's not he's not trying to sound like me. Yeah, they, it's like those were you know I'm like that's how the songs they go like that's that. Right. That's, that's right. That's, that's supposed to be there. Some of it changed. I remember some of the verses on Control. He uh, just wasn't sounding right, and so he changed it a little bit. But like Fall, sure. you know, all your 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 melodies. That's all. Yeah. He he did uh, something totally different. Remember Plastic Lasagna? Yeah. With Hidden Instincts. Yeah. He did something totally different on that, and that worked okay. And, uh, yeah, but that was, that was really cool how he would just didn't know anything. And it's not like we had to rehearse him. He's like, oh, how does that part go? It was like, he just flew through the whole thing. Cause he had done so many takes. Yeah. You know, well, he's, he's really good at that. And he's a yeah, great yeah. guy to work with. So, yeah. and he's a good singer. He's did even I hear better you guys, now in my opinion. Did I hear you guys say control and resistance was recorded in Germany? Yes. Yeah, Berlin. We, okay. Why, why? Let me ask that. Why? What? How did? Because how did it was it? company noise. They had their own studio there, and they had, uh, you know, it was just set up. They had on the fourth floor, I think it was. They had the studio, and then above that, they had all of the, you know, kitchen and uh, dining and pool table and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was their place. They, that's where they worked. I, so I, I imagine. I imagine that was a, a a brand new experience for all you guys. You're young and uh, maybe had never been. Look at Ron's face. I had never been out of Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so been on a plane before. I was 24. Yeah. yeah. So what, what what was it like? I mean, outside of the studio, just living in Germany for a while while you're recording this record. Take us outside of the studio and explain what's your life like as a Texan guy who's never been on for, an airplane. What did you have for? What did you eat? Yeah. <laughs> There was lasagna place across the street, and we—that's where we went almost every every day. But the whole cult, culture shock thing for me was just just mind blowing. Got off the plane, it. we landed, and I think we went to France first, so I don't know, but couldn't read anything. I was just flipping out. You know, I had never been on a plane. You know, the whole ears popping and all that stuff. Never, 
none of that. And it was just like, just, just mind blown. Wow. That was, I'd say in my whole life, that's, that's maybe the top, maybe one, two or three experiences, you know, just that whole, the whole Berlin, Germany, all of that kind of stuff. It was just unreal. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I I can, I can imagine. And how old are you at this time? 24. It was probably cheaper for the label to pay for the sessions because they had, they had had more control of everything. You know, it was their studio and they, uh, was the president of the label, Carl Walterbach. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He, uh, he went to the the place that had the killer lasagna. That's where we met him. I got to tell this story. I ordered a pepperoni pizza, right? And, 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 uh, Berlin, a pepperoni, it's not the little, you know, circle, it's peppers. (laughs) So they brought me this pepperoni pizza and I'm flipping out, you know, I'm like, this isn't what I ordered and everything, but anyways, it's like they fixed it and everything, but it was just so the whole, the culture thing was just, it was just over Wow. Yeah, that's that's why I asked because it sounds like it would have been a real uh, shock for a guy from Texas who's I didn't know you'd never been on an airplane, but wow! Um, did you guys tour that record? Yes, we did. In oh, my yeah, Coroner and you, uh, was it Coroner and uh, Razor? No, um, there was a couple of other. It was always Coroner headline. Then we were the second band, and then they had opening band. I remember Poldergeist was one. Okay. I remember one time they gave us shirts and we all, all of us in the band wore Poltergeist shirts for, for our set. Where did this, where did this tour take you? Uh, It was France, Germany, uh, Austria, Switzerland, England, a couple of shows in England. And what about stateside? No, we didn't do that. That's where we're Doug and Alan did most of the business for the band. And we didn't do that tour. Probably had something to do with money. Yeah. But, so, you, uh, so, so control and resistance. The promotional tour was based uh, largely Europe. in Europe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was even it more experience. But yeah. it makes it makes a lot of sense to me when you think about, and not to just we're going to move on from Watchtower here in a second, um, but Watchtower is that that ilk of style of of extreme music. Mm-hmm. You would want. You would think that's that Europe, they love that. Yeah, they, they're into yeah, that. Exactly. That's what that that's a thing over there. And yeah. Watchtower has been cited over and over and over as an influence to a lot of proggy metal bands, a lot of German bands, a lot of thrash bands cite mm. Watchtower as a as an influence, even though they may not be technically pro- progressive, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so moving forward, you 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 have a little bit of a foothold with with watchtower with alan and you go and go and go and i was watching from afar admiring what was happening to Watchtower. i was i felt involved i still felt like i was part of the whole thing and i loved it so much i was so happy to see ads for the record and pictures of you guys and all the glossy magazines that i was in as well which was really fun for me and we also saw you on mtv prime time and on tour with Alice Cooper and Judas Priest, so it goes the other way too. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, yeah. L- listen, and I talked about it all the time. Anyone who would let me talk about it and that knew about Watchtower, they would ask me about it. And I was like, you know, it would just take over a big portion of the interview. But anyway, so a lot of people wonder, why does it take so long for Watchtower to make music? 
So you release another record. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the, and how long ago did that come out and what is it called again? What, the Math Concepts album? Yes, Concepts album, right. Oh boy. Uh, well, here's where we get into mathematics, where five of the songs that came on, that are on that EP that was released in 2016. Correct, seven, yeah. Five of those songs were supposed to have been on the full mathematics album, which has 11 songs. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing is just, you know, mathematics is, I don't know if you could say a bad word, you know, with, with Watchtower, but it's an album that should have happened, you know, and there's so much material that you sang on some tracks, Alan sang on some tracks, and it just never, it never was completed. And um, the biggest issue with Watchtower is what we just talked about before. It's yeah. lyrics are written. Yeah. trying to fit them into to music. It just takes so long to make things work. Uh, Alan and I had so many issues with, you know, trying to, to phrase it out this way and everything. And, you know, Doug's lyrics were, that's the way they were, you know, Doug, you can't change Doug's lyrics. And, and uh, there was a point where um, the song technology in action, which is on the, the math concepts album, right. um, I had lyrics already written for that and everything. And uh, it got to a point where I just told Alan, dude, just change the whole thing. Just change everything. Just write the lyrics how you want to do it. Yeah, he wrote some. He, that's, he a fir that's a first in Watchtower history. Yeah, and so he did that. Um, we did the Size of Matter where I phrased everything out. And that worked out mm -hmm. good because I wrote those lyrics to that music. Mm-hmm. But that's not Watchtower. Watchtower doesn't work that way. Watchtower is like, I think Max Webster works this way too, where one guy writes the lyrics and then they just kind of fit them in somehow. Although Rush does this too. You know, yeah. but with Watchtower, it's just so difficult to, to move forward with songs when you have to work like that. And that's, that's the biggest issue with, with mathematics and then plus, it's like everybody's older now, you know, moving on, doing different things. But why, why things take so long, that's the biggest reason. The other reason is whenever a song is written with Watchtower, like I said before, it's not like me and Bobby when we work together. Parts are written and they're kind of played. It doesn't work that way with Watchtower. Most of the time, it, it works out for the better. But then you have to construct tunes based on an idea, and it's going to change. And that tune is like a verse or something in a song that's going to change into something else. So you can't have two written tunes together because they're not going to go like that, you know? Yeah. And that, that's another reason why things just took so long with Watchtower. Yeah. You can't mix up puzzle pieces. Yeah. And there are a lot of, a lot of pieces getting thrown. And my, my uh, best analogy with, with Watchtower is a food analogy because everybody's got to feed, uh, got to eat, but got to feed. You got to eat, <laughs> but you have all these different ingredients, and you're trying to make a good meal. You know, you've got your your hamburger meat, your noodles, but then you have like a, a strawberry, you know, and then you have a banana. It's like just trying to force all these tunes in rather than just saying, "I'm going to make lasagna. Here's what I need. Let's let's put this together," right. you know. Watchtower, and then some, you know, when we were doing mathematics, uh, you know, Doug had, Doug didn't finish recording. He still has four or five songs to record. 
and that's probably never going to get done. Still to but this day. To this day. Yeah. I've had my rhythm tracks done for that album since 2010. I've had my rhythm tracks done for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, you, you, this also, you know. There's no deadline. Until we're done, you know. But this could also be what makes Watchtower so unique. You know, you guys aren't formulaic. You are putting oddball ingredients together. And sometimes it takes a while to do that. And sometimes it just flat out doesn't work. But when it does, the end result is unlike a lot of other things out there because you're taking chances and trying to put disparate elements together. We yeah, can well, talk Go ahead, Jason. No, I was going to say, we could talk about Watchtower for another hour. Let's move into when you start writing songs, like you start putting out little solo cassettes, and I, I had the pleasure of... Happy Kitties. Talk, yeah, on Happy Kitties demo, which is now available. People can look up Happy Kitties yeah. and get it probably from your website. What's mm -hmm. your website, Ron? RonJarzomic.com. That's what Jason, I thought. You remember who titled the, uh, the first solo CD? I did? Or you did. did? What's it called? I did. Happy Kitties? No. Oh, it's, called, it's called, I can't do it. We used to do that on the way to practice, and you said, <laughs> you should spell it P-H-H-H-P. Yeah. And that's what I named it. I can't do it. <laughs> Pretty much the elephant sound spelled out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I didn't remember that, that I titled your first solo record. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. But that had all the songs for me that didn't fit into Watchtower. Right. In that Lefto event. Leftovers. Well, not leftovers, just different songs, just different kind of things. But that evolved into Spastic Ink. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about Spastic Ink. Um, Spastic Ink originally started with me and Bobby writing tunes together. And then... Um, same thing like S.A. Slayer. By the time the, the CD came out, uh, everybody was doing different things. And then I tried to get um, the second Spastic Ink CD done, and that's when Jason came into play. And Bobby and Pete were pretty much out of the picture, but they uh, hung around a little bit to, to record a couple of songs. Um, but yeah, had, that, you that, had yeah. Doug. He had Doug from Watchtower Doug, come in and yeah. do some stuff. Mm -hmm. Alex Webster from... Uh, no, no, he wasn't on that. He came later. That's Blotted Science. Oh, that's Blotted. My, my bad. And also Hans Grossman is on Blotted, too. Yes, on the second uh, one, which yeah. Hans was on uh, the uh, the two uh, uh, Howling Sycamore records that I'm on. Mm -hmm. so, who, came, who came up with the name Spastic Ink? Bobby did. It was Spastic, uh, spastic Pencil first. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah that's not man that's a try yeah. that's a that's something that's yeah, a starting so, point and spastic ink one spastic ink <laughs> one out over spastic pencil yeah and what sucks about the the spastic ink thing is i had it set up you know the first one was incomplete then mm -hmm. incompatible and i wanted to just keep going you know i wanted to keep going you know ink combustible is what i wanted the next one to be <laughs> And, uh, great, you know, incredible or, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, but you, yeah mentioned, you mentioned blotted science. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, after um, 
What's, uh, and what's the difference between the styles of yeah. spastic ink a and heavier. science? A lot, lot heavier. Blotted is heavier. Yeah. Blotted has uh, Webster from Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. Okay. And then Hans yeah, Grossman you know from every, he's played with everybody. Yeah, Dave, I need to apologize, man. When I sent Jason the spastic ink album, I should have sent them out to you too because it explains I wrote a big old thing. Yeah, the, the liners are incredible. I it's saw the hit. vinyl. It looks amazing. I think that's the best I think that's the best looking album I've ever it's seen beautiful. as far as the color yeah. scheme. But they send me your address. I'll send you a copy of both that both vinyl on there. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That label did a great job. Yeah, great, great job. But after uh, Spastic Ink, when I kind of figured it was just done, then that that's when Blotted Science started. And that was a that was a pretty good move, too. What kind of music would you call that? Well, I mean, it's got some death metal elements, but what I wanted to do with Blotted Science, I wanted to get me from the tech, proggy kind of world, and then I wanted to get different three different types of metal. So I got Alex... Uh, luckily, I mean, you wouldn't believe how I lucked out with that guy. Yeah. But I got he's him. He's an incredible musician. It's You think Cannibal Corpse is just this, like, yeah, he's ro ro like roaring crazy shit going on? Yeah. No. How did those you guys, get him? Those guys know how to work it, man. I was actually scared of him originally. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? But I, uh, I he's a cannibal corpse. Exactly. Uh, once you meet him, I bet he's like a nerd uh, like everybody else. Best. Eddie Bear. Great guy. But he uh, he was friends with a, a student of mine named Axel. And Alex, he would come to lessons and say, yeah, he's a great guy. Alex Webster's a great guy. And uh, I got to uh, meet him. I saw Cannibal Corpse at uh, the back room, I think it was, in Austin. Mm. Started talking to him and stuff like that. But I wanted to get uh proggy guy me death metal guy and then chris adler was the original drummer for blood oh, yeah. oh wow wow and they were coming up you know they were coming up yeah. around this time yeah. lamb of god yeah yeah and so obviously he got he got too busy with that and then there was how did, an you, how did you i'm sorry real quick how did you uh, reach out to chris adler yeah i it's think in virginia god. right yeah, he might have been a Spastic Ink fan or something. I don't. That's a great oh, question. Okay. I don't even remember that. He just connected via internet with you at some point, maybe. I'm probably going to remember the story maybe when Maybe Bobby? Maybe Bobby? Maybe it was a... No? Huh? No, but I, I'm going to remember the story that when, when we're done with this. We can do this another time and talk about so you're putting you're putting dis different types of metal together to come yeah, up with we got modded sciences. What we got, it was looked very techy. But it was super heavy. I got to, you know, tune down to A. To low it's a ridiculously off. heavy. Very heavy, yeah. It's like the heaviest <clears throat> instrumental watchtower shit. Or it's like the heaviest proggy that I've ever heard. I don't <clears throat> How did you come up with a name? That's where I was going next. Since we had such a great story with Spastic Inc., how did Blotted Science come about? Uh, I just wanted something that was uh, kind of evil and gory, which was the blotted, you know, blood. Yeah. And science, which was the math part about it. And so we originally had that Alex came up with the title, The Machinations of Dementia, but that was too long. People would say, what's the name of the band? And I'd rattle that off and they were like, what? <laughs> so we made that. So we made that the name of the, the album, the CD. Yeah. And the band became Blotted Science. But then Chris Adler couldn't do it and then i had a rough time trying to find a drummer 
uh, Derek Roddy was in the picture next. He was from, um, I can't believe I don't remember this, but he was a very popular death metal drummer. That didn't work. Communication problems all over the place. And, uh, and Charlie came up about a year later. And then we did the first album. That was great. And that, Charlie was in, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get this wrong. Tentacles? Beyond the, uh, Behold the Octopus. Behold the Octopus, that's it. They were yep. nuts. They were nuts. Yeah. I would not believe these dudes on stage. I saw them at Emo's. Yeah, Tentacles, I was close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the mo most blown away I've ever been. You know, not with lights and stage stuff and all, but just the, the guys on stage playing their asses off. It was Behold the Octopus with Charlie. And then, uh, but Charlie was more of like a studio drummer. Mm. You know, he did a lot of different styles. And the, the big issue with Charlie was that he played too many different styles. And so after the first CD, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to too much, too much death metal stuff, trying to figure out, you know, what kind of tune to put with this. So then I figured we, sh we should get a real death metal drummer guy. And that's why yeah, I was going to bring like your vision. Uh... Well, when, when some of the tunes that I would, uh, played it for Derek Roddy. He would just nail them. Wow. It was just, yeah, it was just boom. And I would listen to him half speed, and it was his blast beats were so accurate. But we just had a bad communication problem. We just it just wasn't clicking. Uh, but his his playing was just just nuts. How'd you hook up with Hans Grossman? Uh, that was through Alex. They toured uh, Cannibal toured with I think it was uh, maybe Necrophagist. Okay, right. Or something like he's that. Played with then, everybody, Hate Eternal, yeah, the Florida band. But he's a German guy, right? Yeah, Hannes is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So considering considering all your uh, your accolades and your reputation within the industry, and especially among other guitar players, your peers, etc. Um, have you ever have you ever uh, auditioned for like an established band that we maybe have heard of? Are you one of those guys like in the Metallica movie, the some kind of monster where they're trying to you know find a new bass player? Are you have you ever been in in one of those situations where you're trying to uh, you went out for an audition to you know the for only, a big the only other band that where I wasn't kind of like running everything was the Marty Friedman situation. Yeah. Okay. That happened in 2003. We did the West Coast tour with uh, was Alex Skolnick and Chris Poland. We did oh, a wow. we did about uh, probably like 20, 20, 20 gigs on the West. Man, that that's like your own like metal version of G three or something. Yeah, yeah. That's was, well, well, Skolnick had a jazz thing where he played yeah. like Ozzy mm -hmm. Osbourne songs. It was cool. It was yeah, really he's been doing that a long time. They're still together, I think. Based out of New York, yeah. Yeah. So, so real quick, earlier. Oh, real go ahead, quick, go real ahead, quick. Uh, Derek Roddy, uh, Aurora Borealis, Council of the Fallen, Hate Eternal. Hate Eternal. Also in Hate yeah, Eternal. Uh, Malevolent Creation, which is coming to Austin in a couple of days or something. Fantastic. Uh, also, also Nile. Nile is a huge yeah. band. Uh, Serpents yep. Rise, Today's the Day. That's they're huge. The under he's he's like a god of the underground, uh, nicknamed as one take, one take Derek. Nice. Well, oh. how what the hell? I'll go into it. That's what one of our problems was. Was he wanted to play everything in one take, 
And, you know, when me and Alex were writing the songs, we did it in sections. And I'm like, you know, just just play what you would play for this this section right here. And he wouldn't do it. He had to play the whole song. And, you know, we are, you know, it's just recordings at the time, you know, what it still is to this day. But, you know, we're just trying to construct songs. And he would have to play the song in one take, the whole song. And I'm like, I don't need the whole song. Just what are you going to play for this one part right here? And he just wouldn't do it. Well, Ron, he's not trying to be difficult in the man's defense. (laughs) But he did play everything in one take. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I just found that on the good old wiki. And and, uh, he's that's that's it's impressive. That's but yeah, his, his one takes were perfect, but it's like if you wanted to change one part of the song, you'd have to redo the whole song. Yeah, well, that that it's list of bands that I just that I just rattled off, that's like that's pretty godly for your resume yeah. of people that you have that respect of. Yeah, he is death metal. I see something else, man. Jeez. Wow. wow. Well, Early. man, you you've been you've been able to surround yourself by, of, of course, uh, you've been able to surround yourself with the best players and i don't even have to wonder why yeah you're yeah. very very talented and you you're not a one-trick pony you uh you like silly silly music you're you're in i i'll tell a ron story oh, no. uh, hey hey ron what's your biggest influence oh richard band you know from all those cheesy 80s wow, you remember 80s. that of course you were so I feel like Bobby might even say that he's influenced by Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah. because you think about all the background music behind like old horror films, you know, well, that's where like the morning with squeaky and, and all of that stuff came you in. That even had, you could put all of that shit behind a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Is my yeah. that's where I'm throwing. I'm throwing it in two different places. They're the same. It's the same score. It's the same type right. of musical score. But what happened later was Blotted Science, the second the EP that we did, that scored to Bug movies. So that falls into that same Bugs Bunny category. So it's yes, three <laughs> minutes synced up to Bug, and I would sit there, you know, timing everything out, writing it, but the whole. EP is timed out to 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 bug movies, so that's Bugs Bunny even has an effect on that too. Wow! Uh, earlier in the earlier in the episode, you, you were talking about Donnie uh, Van Stavern, and and you mentioned that when he had the opportunity to join Riot, he jumped at it because he idolized Riot. That was his dream gig, is is what you called it. Yeah. What would your dream gig be? Well, if y'all want to go back uh, a little bit of ways, when, when Bobby got in Halford, Ooh, you know, man. I was just like, man, if, if that would have happened for me back then at that time, but it just didn't, you know, I don't know why I wasn't. Consi- well, and Bobby, and Bobby says he could have gotten you the, the Sebastian gig. Well, no, let's not get into that. But uh, the, the Halford thing for me, Clint, okay. let's not even go there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the the Halford thing. I mean, it's like I can play stained class. I can play victim of change. You know, I'm here. Yeah, you've got, got the hair. I've got the Glenn Tipton haircut. 
Well, you, and you can, and you can, and you're, it's a, you have a, I can a, play with my pinky extended like tipping if they wanted me to, you, you know, your, <laughs> but you have your twin on the drum kit, you know, basically. Yeah. And yeah. you guys did don't, you, you guys you, could play the songs blindfolded too. But did yeah, you, that, go ahead. Dave. Try out. Did you try out for the, for the Halford band? My name was never in the hat. And you would have thought since my brother was in the band and, and, Swiss Chris was the guy that put Bobby's name in the hat for, of course, Bobby earned it, of course. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's like I was never considered for that. And a little bit of um, just kind of pissed off about that whole situation. It's even even to this day, I kind of think about that whole thing sometimes and I get pissed off about it. Well, you can, you can. But yeah, I know. It's like it's it's old. It didn't happen. And yeah, I'm it, I'm not trying to talk you out of the tree, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the boss already had done the hiring. Is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, well, we talk about been. Rob Halford every every time we do an episode. I think he's the yeah. most talked about guy <laughs> on our show. Probably him and Kiss Alive. Yeah. The most mentioned. But you know what? Riot comes up a lot yeah sure it's does. pretty weird that we talk about riot a lot hmm. on this show we, we should tell people also um ron that you you have a long-running uh rush tribute band in san antonio okay. called exit stage left is that is that still yeah, happening yeah. or i did the marty friedman thing that was 2003 was the first tour that we did the west coast of the united states and then in 2007, I remember I was starting the Rush uh, tribute band at that time, and uh, Marty calls again. That was 2007, so the Rush tribute band um, has been going on since about 2008. Because I, right, I remember right when I got back from from Europe with Marty, that's when the band started. And so it's, you know, and it's called Exit Stage Left. Exit Stage Left. Yeah, yeah the name of the second uh, Rush live album. Wow. Nice. I was doing that. Um, I was playing with some other cover bands in town, Dragonfly, Praying Mantis, stuff like that. But that was just covers. But the are tri- you, are, are you the, the, this Rush tribute stage left? I saw some photos and we have some in our slideshow coming up. Uh-huh. The t- when we, at our, uh, our introduction that we do, we're going to have a slideshow. Uh-huh. In one of the photos, you're wearing the kimono. Do you guys all wear the kimonos all the time, or do you change out because of you know era? Well, I, I I've worn a, like ten different ones, but I have a two black ones, a, an official red, a real kimono. Yeah. Uh, I have a blue one. I have another uh, blue, another kind of mixed in. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I have a concept. Yeah, you, you have the white one. Is you have a white yeah. one like twenty one twelve? Yeah. Yeah. Wore that a couple of times, but that's hysterical. Last... You know, Portnoy wanted to do that when we did that segment in the Sea Monsters thing. Oh yeah, uh, what... he wanted us to have kimonos, but it didn't manifest. So. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I would have totally worn, worn yeah. that. Would have been cool for each each guy to have their own color, like Kiss. Oh yeah, yeah, would have been fun. No, but, but the since, other guys, since he... it's not a three piece, you know, we would we were a four piece. Well, we, yeah, we're a four piece. You're yeah. a four piece too, right? Right. Yeah, but Pete's in the band too, uh, yeah. you know, from Spastic Inc. and Riot too. He's, yeah, Pete, he's, Pete Perez, who was in Carrion, another Texas metal band that was awesome. And yeah, and, uh, yeah, he he's an amazing musician as well, and just a yeah, cool, kooky dude. 
Yeah. Cookie dude. Cookie dude. And he's friends with McLean. All the people that we've been, if there's a connection with SA Slayer, Watchtower, Hellstar, Militia, all that, all these people know each other. It's a clown. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So real quick, uh, Ron, since you're such a Rush freak, what's your favorite Rush album? Probably uh, the one that broke everything is probably 2112. But the whole, the you know, from 2112 all the way to maybe Permanent Waves, you know, Hemispheres, Pharaoh the Kings, that whole time period, I just worship everything that they did around that time. The first time I saw Rush was on the Pharaoh of the Kings tour. Me too. We were, we were too young. I remember me and Bobby. I think they were, were touring with, with Ben Lizzie, I think it was. I might have that wrong, but it was a 2112 tour. And we were just too young. But Rush was the, the second band that I ever saw live. First was UFO. No. Yeah, UFO opened for Rush, and it was yeah. Stick with Angel. Remember Angel? Yeah. Yeah. I saw Angel. I saw Angel with Ted Nugent. Yeah. Uh, that would have been my second show. And then the my first show was UFO and Rush. Yeah. I think Max Webster was also on the bill, but I missed Probably. Him, yeah, I they always him. brought Max Webster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think UFO was in between. It was Max and then. And yeah. Then, well, yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. What, so you're, what, what got you hooked on like rock music? What made you like want to just play rock guitar and not, you know, classical guitar or? I think I've been more of a band guy, you know, all of the, the, that's, that's concert, a good answer. That's a I'm really like, good answer. I like being a band guy, you know, to where I'm not like singled out or anything. Yeah. You know, I like, I like writing more than, than all of the other stuff. I like writing more than doing solos and everything. Just again, it comes from rush, all the concepts and everything that they do. I like that aspect of, of the whole band thing more. You know, I mean, both Spastic Ink CDs, well, for the first one, kind of, both Blotted Science CDs were, were concept album. I'm working on another one right now, another solo thing. Excellent. Uh, you know, just a lot of concepts, a lot of writing and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Do you have a website or anything where people can find all of your music? Yeah, the uh, ronjarzombek.com. I have it set up like apps because I'm trying to get to the, doing some apps. I have six apps out right now too. Oh yeah. You, you create apps. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I have three multi-tracking apps right now and there. I have songs that are released as apps and you, it's like a multi-track. You can select what parts you hear. And then uh, I'm, I'm working on another one right now. It's kind of like backing tracks, but it constructs con um, atonal chord progressions too. And then, uh, I have two other writing apps, System 2412, which looks like 2112. Nice. Yeah. Of course it does. <laughs> hey, I had to do something, man. Yeah. Rush was, you know, there's no more Rush, and I just wanted to do something just to. You're, you're doing it, man. You you know that band was a game changer, and they're, they're the off. biggest influence on your life. One of the many, you know, because yeah. your, your hair. The, the number one. No, was no, one in Ru no one in Rush has your hair cut. Priest is in there too. No, I, that's where I was going with it. So, yeah. Priest and Rush and Kiss. I would I would say back to the earlier in the interview today. You mentioned Kiss Alive as like a game changer for you because you were like much like me. My story goes when I discovered that at the you know my neighborhood buddy's house. You know, we're listening to that. I, me experiencing that for the first time. 
that changed my whole thing. And it sounds like that pretty much what happened to you as well. Yeah. I remember when we were kids, I remember somebody across the street had get your wings by Aerosmith. Oh yeah. But that didn't stick as much as, as kiss though. Well, there was no fire and bombs. Yeah, yeah, the whole package was Kiss. Yeah, Kiss kind of had the advantage when you're 14 years old, and uh, there's fire and bombs and blood. Jason, were you in the Kiss Army? Uh, I I was I not officially, but I did order things off of the. Uh, you know, typing paper inserts that you pulled out that had you could order a poster for like two dollars. Yeah. I always did that, and I got a belt buckle, I got a poster, you know, stuff like that. But I never officially signed up and got my membership. Yeah, we didn't either. I would always see that whenever we'd buy Dress to Kill or Hotter Than Hell, it would come with the Kiss Army, join the Kiss Army, but we never did. Yeah. That. And yeah. it was cool because you could go to like the Kmart and buy a Kiss record, but you would also, and this is was my favorite thing to do, is on Saturdays I could walk to the local head shop, which you uh, know there's a room. I've talked about this kind of shit too on the Talk Louder podcast before. There's beads. a room in the back with the beads that you're not allowed to go into when you're 12. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they sell, I don't know what they sell in there because we don't know. Right? We don't it doesn't know. matter because. The KISS posters and the KISS records and anything like that, they were all out front right when you walked in. You just KISS stuff and, you know, hippie shit everywhere. And and you would, you could buy all kinds of great KISS stuff right there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that was that was like a it, it was like it was life changer. Let me let me ask you this real quick, because uh, we got to wrap it up. But hey, man. Would you think, don't you think like a record like Kiss Alive, the way that it's put together is almost like a concept? You know, you're big on these concepts and how things work and the way songs are even put together. Maybe yeah. not the songs being put together like a concept, but that album cover magically comes across to me like this is a package. It is. This, it was the songs, everything. That, look uh, at the fucking album cover shot, even though it's a staged Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Well, I know Dave, what Jason's saying, though. Yeah. Dave, he, he, Dave has interviewed Gene, and Gene talks about how it's a totally staged thing, but yeah, totally. like, that's the money shot. When you see that as a 12 year old boy, you're going to hell tomorrow because you want that. I've always said that I've, I'm, I am eternally envious of the two guys on the back of that album cover holding up that banner because that, that shot is just the epitome of 70s arena rock concerts. The whole place is full of smoke. Everybody's a hippie. They're holding up that banner. And that album is going to outlive all of us. And I thought it would be so rad to be one of those dudes on the back of that album because it's such Did a Did you crap. see that they redid that picture recently? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like one of the guys is a doctor and one of them is a realtor or something like that. You know, what? I don't know about you guys, but before Kiss, I just kind of remembered it was the, the Beatles, the Red Album and the Blue Album. Did y'all have those oh, albums? No. Never did the Beatles, no. no. Who got yeah, you into who who got you into the Beatles? Who how'd mom. you just turn around? Who? Mom. Your mom. Wow. That's the first album. Hey, I'm that, sorry, I know she recently yeah. passed. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but she, obviously, obviously she was dynamite, so she turned you on to the fucking Beatles, dude. Yeah, but that was the first albums that we got, but that was before Kiss. But that's what we uh, uh I got I gotta tell a story before we do before it. We go, though, please, please you have the floor. Because me and Bobby, you know, we uh we're doing the music thing back then and we would have bunk beds, you know, and you'd have those, the, uh, the rails that would come over 
And then they had those two things that went under the mattress. I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We would sing these Beatles songs, but we would take that railing thing and we would flip it to where the rail was under the mattress. And the two things that poked in, those were our microphone stands. <laughs> <laughs> so you were miming to Beatles songs. And yeah. bet, the, Which the, Beatle were you? No, I would just, you know, love me, do, please, please, yeah. me, and then, you know, later can come together and all that stuff. But that's what the first was. But, but yeah, bunk, exactly. bunk beds at an early age turning into, you know, arena stage. Yeah, microphone's uh, pretty yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, but <laughs> that's yeah, that's Bob, Bob was the one that, that, that got us those albums, though. So. Wow. God that's pretty her. special. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Ron, this has been fantastic, and yeah, I, it couldn't great. have gone any better. And we could do this again anytime you want. Uh, if there's some new stuff you want to plug, or even just tell stories again, because we didn't really get into half of the Slayer, half of the Watchtower, and what it was really like touring with Marty Friedman, who's also an amazing, uh, worldly guitar player who who has this, who also is a game changer himself. Uh, you know what it was like just even working with him. Did you write songs with him, or were you just? Kind of glad we're, we're we're talking about this too because when we were on tour, I was hoping that it would turn into something else. Right. You know, like you know Marty was doing with Jason Becker. Yeah, of course. I mean. I'm nowhere near Jason Becker with Jason, but I'm just saying teaming up with Marty was what I wanted to do. And it just, it never got there. Ah. I remember I would go when we were on tour, Marty would do like little clinics during the day. And I remember a fan asked him, he said, Hey, I know Ron is playing in your band. Is there a chance that, that y'all might do some writing and stuff together? And he just, he said, well, we're on tour right now doing this stuff together. And it was never, really even considered but yeah. i was hoping that that would happen but it, it didn't after the after that other tour he uh, got a band in japan i think yeah and then he got a uh, chargy his drummer and they got that girl bass player who's just unbelievable yeah and wow. then uh you know got jordan ziff to play guitar with him uh that's his current band now but yeah i was hoping that we could have did some writing but marty did play on incompatible yeah and um he did a, actually this one of the songs that you're singing on, Jason. He that's right. The acronym song Marty's playing. We're trading solos. I've sung on two songs that have Marty that I know of. Wow! Uh, and yeah, I've never cool. even met him. I did a song with him on the Howling Sycamore record, and I did a song acronym on your record, and I've never mm-hmm. met the man, which is not, I guess, that weird nowadays. Yeah. everything's yeah. sort yeah. of written on the internet, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Ron, this has been very special. Thank you for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, Ron. Thanks for joining uh, us. I appreciate your time and all your stories and uh wish you continued you. success. And uh thanks for joining us. On behalf of my co-host Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our special guest today, Ron Jarzombek. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder Podcast. All right, guys, it was great. 